and I'll be reading Luke 1, uh, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. Thank you, Stephanie. Am I on? Can you guys hear me all right? Amen. All right. Good morning to all of you. Um, my name is Amari Hill. For those of you who are visiting us today, I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy Advent to all of you. If you did not know, this is the first Sunday of Advent. So in the, in the liturgical calendar or the, the Christian calendar, this is the beginning of a new year. So for Christians, um, for lots of years, we could also say to each other, Happy New Year. This is, a, this is the, first, the first day of the beginning in which we begin to relate not only to our own sense of time, but to God's sense of time through the life of Jesus Christ. So we start over again by looking at the Christmas narrative, which we are approaching now, and then, we, and then of course, it culminates in what's called the ordinary days in which, uh, after we've looked at what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, we begin to go out in mission. And that's usually during the summertime, and Easter's the big one in the middle and all that good stuff. But this is the beginning of it, and this is an exciting time of year. Um, this is something that a lot of people are excited about. So what do we do with this time of year? Um, Three things, three words that I have, okay? VHV. First one is vacation, right? For a lot of people, this is a time of year looking forward to, some of you, rest. Some time to get away from the, the, you know, the hustle and bustle of work. Maybe you're looking forward to hanging out with family, some friends, getting out of town for a little bit, right? This is vacation time. So, you know, right? And that's good. It's good for us to be able to rest, to kind of, Look forward to not just being so driven by our work and um, having time to be with others, to enjoy some eggnog, the kids' kind and the adult kind, if you, you know, do that, but drink responsibly, right? Um, and then, you know, you're with, uh, you're with others that um, maybe for some people during this time of year, it's new loves are involved in, in your life, and you're getting to um, connect in a deeper way, or maybe you're getting to reconnect with others. It's vacation time. But, of course, we know that this time of year is supposed to be more than just vacation. So what's another way that people relate to that? My other word for that would be holiday. Or for those of you who are um, etymology nerds, 
you know, you like to get into, that's the word for study of words. If you like to get into the root of things, you know that holiday originally was holy day, right? A day sanctified, a day that's different than ordinary days. And so during the holidays, the holy days that we, we, um, we talk about, there are different ways in which people relate to it, and that we all relate to it, right? For one, we see a lot of people beginning to pay attention to uh, those who are suffering around us. That's a good thing. Amen? That's a good thing. <laughs> like our city, is not just you know, those who are religious or those who subscribe to some type of philosophy or faith and that sort of deal. Everybody starts to pay attention to those who are suffering around them. So that's good, right? It's a, it's a, it's a holy time. You know, we begin to get gift, give gifts to other people. Giving becomes a big theme for a lot of us during this time of year. So it's, it's a holy day. Now, in the midst of all that giving, there's all the, because <laughs> I talked about rest, and a lot of people, they think about, maybe you think about giving right now, and you're thinking about the shopping list and all that good stuff, and you're like, that ain't rest, right? I, I got I to spend a lot of time in Toys R Us and Walmart and on Amazon and all kinds of different places, wherever you go. Maybe you do Neiman Marcus, you know? Maybe you like to shop like that, whatever. You know, no judgment. That's cool. Um, but... You know, if, you, if you're, you're doing that, you know, that's not really restful. But it's part of the season. It's set apart. It's when, you know, what other time of year does everybody get involved in buying a bunch of gifts and giving them away to different people? It's a, it's a different kind of time, right? And then uh, the songs say, uh, rightly so, it's the most wonderful time of the year. People become a little bit kinder to each other, right? We, we all notice that. I mean, even, yes, even in the South, where we practice southern hospitality and are generally nicer than, you know, where I come from uh, in the northeast, you know, there's still, like, it goes up even a, like an extra notch. People get a little bit nicer to each other, and it's great. We like that. That's good. But those of us who subscribe to the Christian faith can sometimes say, you know what, but that's not enough. Because what do you hear? Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? People talk about that. Jesus is the reason for the season. And, you know, Amen. Right? But then what do we end up doing? That ends up becoming a, um, a battle cry for culture wars or something. You know, don't, why do you, you know, put the Christ back in Christmas. Why do you have an X in there? What is that Xmas? Well, I mean, X is Greek for the first letter in Christ, Christos, whatever, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> but still, we make a big deal about it, you know, Xmas, ah, you know, right? Um, you know, and, and then... You know, what's up with all the trees and all that kind of deal? Like, we need to celebrate Jesus, right? Um, oh, okay, Jesus is a reason for the season. But then that just becomes, again, something in which we, we, we take an antagonistic sort of posture, those of us who identify as Christians, an antagonistic posture toward others who are outside of the Christian community. And is that really the reason for the season that's centered around Jesus, to become enemies with others, to engage in conflict with others? Here's the third word. I said three. VHV. V. Vocation. Vocation. All my homeschoolers out there, you know where vocation comes from, right? That Latin word, vocare, which means to call. It's a call. This is a season in which God is speaking to us in a unique way through the events that we recall in the life of Jesus. And as he is speaking to us, he is calling us to a different way of life and a different way of seeing the world and a different way of being. Will we answer that call? Will we listen to it? Will we heed what God wants to do in our lives and do through our lives for the sake of the world that he loves?
So for these next few Sundays, we're going to go through this series, which is the call of Christmas. The call of Christmas. And there's a mystery to that call, and we're going to explore some of those mysteries today. But I hope that you'll continue to come back over the next few weeks as we explore what the vocation, our vocation is. The call of the season. So, okay. Um, if you haven't got your coffee already, I would invite you to do so now because we're about to get into it, okay? Um, I don't care if you do. If you get up, get your coffee. That's fine. All right. Let's, let's explore some of these mysteries. So uh, when we talk about getting into the Christmas spirit, what are we talking about? What does that even mean? Right? Is it just about spending money that you don't have on people that you normally buy gifts for anyway? Right? It's usually what we kind of mean. But I think Christmas, when we talk about the Christmas spirit, what we're talking about is being more compassionate, being kind, especially towards strangers and strangers who are hurting, strangers who are struggling. And it's all about uh, intentional and spontaneous acts of indiscriminate generosity. Right? doesn't matter who it is. Just being generous toward anyone and everyone that comes along your path. And it's also about hope and wonder, isn't it? This is a season in which our eyes become open to something that is much larger than us. It's, in a lot of ways, it's like, it's, oh, it's magical. Right? There's something beyond this world, something beyond what we can see and hear and taste and touch. And children can't wait until school is out so they can dream about candy canes and snowball fights if we do get snow, right? Um, Ice fights, maybe? Icicles? Okay. Not, no, sorry. All right. <laughs> maybe some of you came from the Midwest and the Northeast could bring some of that snow down with you. I don't know. Uh, and maybe you guys are like, we don't want that. Never mind. You keep that. Keep that snow. Uh, but, but, but kids look forward to the wintertime, right? To, to, to kind of play outside a little bit. But they look forward to lots of food. I mean, fun music enjoying relationships, and come and think about it. It's not just the kids, it's the adults too, right? We're all looking forward to that. Um, the smell of change fills the air during this time. We can smell like something is coming. The air smells just a little bit fresher with the changing of the seasons, but we think that maybe something culturally is about to change. As our city is transformed into sort of a tinsel town, and there's a festival of lights all around us, we imagine being tax-paying residents in a town that is filled with acts of kindness. Which is to say, we might imagine being citizens in a place inhabited, ruled, and administered, and enjoyed by indiscriminately loving and humble people. That's what we feel like is in the air. It's Christmas time. A time for getting a taste of that distant city that the scriptures tell us about. That heavenly city. The one that we sang about here just a few moments ago. Truly, as a songwriter says, it is the most wonderful time of the year. But for some, it's the toughest time. You know where I'm going with this. This is probably the time when most of Charlotte becomes, as I said already, becomes aware of the homeless. This is a time uh, in which we become aware of the burden on our counseling centers and our rehab centers and our clinics and other social services all of our social ills start coming out of the woodworks, and we overburden those who are supposed to support us, right? It, I mean, it is a season of giving, but a lot of it is not done in the, uh, the arena of what we could say 
white elephant gifts or tacky sweaters, but it's done in the arena of tragedy. Each of us likely has our own stories of when we long for charity, for love, to restore our hopes, to restore our hearts and our sense of wonder during this time of year. Some of us have been changed for the better through a season like this, and others are still a bit bitter. Either way, we long. We long for a change. We long for that city which is inhabited by love and hope. If only the spirit of that city could come back to us and stay. If only the spirit of that city would come into each of our hearts so that we would become a loving and humble people by nature. I've come to tell you this morning that the Christmas season brings us into God's mysterious answer to that longing if we would engage with it first through prayer and secondly through mission. We need to engage with God's mysterious work during the season, first through prayer, secondly through mission. As we've already begun to look at the mystery by reading this text, uh, let me point out a couple of verses to you again. Look at verse 30. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So we need to engage with this. We need to engage with what we've just heard. And at least do it with the Lord if we don't do it with other people. But not too many of us are happy about the credit card debt that we're about to inherit, right? And the endless commercialism that comes with the celebration of this season. But let's be honest. The scriptures say some things, some things that we just read, that are pretty uncomfortable. Angels. Pregnant virgins. God's becoming men. What is this? <laughs> right? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with all this stuff? And, and I personally think it's okay that we experience a little bit of discomfort with this. And I don't say that because I'm, I'm, I'm one of the elders to say, you're fired. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Right? I'm saying we need to be uncomfortable with what's being said here so that we can begin to dig into this mystery. All mystery, all true mystery, really makes us uncomfortable all the time. It's like going to the heights of the Blue Ridge and looking out across the cavernous valleys and looking at, at its beauty and suddenly feeling like you're about to fall. It's like when you go to the observatory at the Duke Energy Center and you, you look out over the expanse of the clouds and over all the other structures that are before you, all the other things that have been made by human hands, and you're unable to fathom just how we were able to put something like this together. It's like you're standing on the edge of something greater than the sum of our inventions that you can't explain. And when you're brought to the heights of something that you did not form and could not form, whether it's physically or metaphorically speaking, there's wonder, perplexity, and even just a little bit of anxiety. It's called mystery, y'all. Mystery. Whether you're a Christian or not, you could easily say, I've heard this all before, and just tune out. Hey, Christmas, I know what Christmas is all about. 
But I'm asking you right now just to endure just a little bit of discomfort as we've heard this text and as we read it so that it could possibly uh, um, lead you from cured to out of apathy and deeper into curiosity. Realize that you might be surprised by hope. As you lean in to the Christmas story, to God's story, with your questions and let yourself be guided deeper into his mysterious work. We have to personally engage with his work in prayer. In fact, this is what Mary does. Okay, look again at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Right, she asks questions. It turns out that God has promised to bring the spirit of Christmas, as it were, into our world to stay. And Mary is invited to play a very decisive and unique role in God's coming kingdom. So she stands at the precipice of this ancient hope that's about to be fulfilled in a great measure in her time. And she's completely amazed by it. But she says, I don't even have a husband yet. I'm engaged, but my fiance and I haven't, you know, we haven't gone into the bedroom. How, how am I going to give birth to the king of heaven and earth? How is that even going to happen? And Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, and other texts tells us this, Gabriel tells her the Holy, the Holy Spirit who hovered over the earth, participating in all of creation, will hover over her, would be the, the same one who will overshadow her womb. Think about this. The one through whom all creation was formed would be formed in the uterus of a lower-class teenager. Let me say that again. The one through whom all things were made, the entire universe, you and I, would be formed in the uterus of a lower-class teenager. That's mystery enough. The, the, the Son of God would humble himself and be born into the world by God's love for the oppressed and the lowly in heart. And when Jesus became a man, he reflected that same love in his own body over and over again by his word and by many deeds. Historians agree that Jesus is the most generous, joy-filled, and humble person that this world has ever known. He came into the world because Mary cooperated with God's mysterious work. But she asked her questions. She engaged in prayer. She talked to him. She didn't check out and just fly blind and, you know, contrary to some opinions, she didn't just say, um, okay, whatever, like, I'm just going to submit. God's going to take me over. She made a choice. She asked God questions. She prayed, and so must we. She had to make a choice, an informed choice. She had to let a holy God fill her body so that she could literally bear salvation for the world. And we, like her, have to make a choice an informed choice to allow God to fill us in such a way that we bring forth new life into this world. Because a huge part of God's intention for his story in the world, his intention for our world, is, uh, and in making uh, the Christmas spirit something that stays and sticks with us, is to actually place his spirit within us. That's a huge part of that plan. But we must ask our questions. We must begin to pray about it. How is it, God? that I can bring Jesus into the world when I still haven't read all the important books? How is it, God, that I can bring Jesus into the world when I am not yet free of overeating or undereating? 
How is it, God, that I can bring Jesus into the world when I am not yet healed of my disability? When I am not yet sure about what I want to do with my life? When I am not yet free of depression, my doubts, my greed, my abusive relatives, or a corrupt economic system? But God doesn't stay in the future dwelling with the not yets, who we are not yet. But he comes into the right now. And right now, as you are, God will invade you to bring forth blessing. Right now, he will use you to reconcile people and places to himself. God delights to say, right now, my Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be made holy and you will be called daughters and sons of the living God. The physical and the spiritual and the emotional limitations of our bodies cannot stop God's loving purposes for you and me. They can't get in the way. For he loves our bodies as much as he loves our souls. And he has the power to redeem all of it. For Jesus says, nothing is impossible with God. We've got to let God's promises shake us and ask our questions, which is to say we must choose to engage him in prayer. Will we go to him as Mary did? Mary let God's promises shake her into prayer. But that's not all. She also let God's mission, his mission in the world, his story, shape her heart. What do I mean by that? We, we talk about um, seeking God's direction for our careers. You know, God, what would you have me do? Right? What, what job could I have? What, what would connect with my passion so that I'm really making a difference in the world? But what if God comes to you, if he actually comes to you, and he gives you an answer that you don't really want to hear? Right? Mary was a marginalized girl among a marginalized people. All of Judea and Samaria and Galilee were under Roman rule. And then Galilee was not a respected region, not even among her own people. And add to that, like today, in some ways, Mary lived in a patriarchal society where women commonly uh, deferred to men economically, politically, and socially. So someone in her position would not shy away from a chance to be elevated. And, and, and I'm thinking it's the same for us, right? When we speak of vocation, when we speak of our career or a sense of calling to what we can do in the world in terms of, in terms of our work, we're, we're not looking for a way down the ladder. We want to go up, right? I mean, who wants to go down? And, and nobody's like, God, uh, show me the way, but, but give me less influence. Give me less money. Well, well, <laughs> right? Um, right? And, then, and then Mary takes the counterintuitive position. She, she says, I am your servant girl. You know, I am your servant girl. May it be to me as you have said. Her journey will now involve the risk of being called that girl who cheated on her fiance and got pregnant. As if the glass ceiling and the oppression of her people were not enough, she was about to be stigmatized. And it doesn't matter whether you're from the projects or from Myers Park. That's usually not a good thing, okay? And, and that's certainly not what any of us would want. And Mary's no masochist here. Let's understand this about her. She didn't look forward to humiliation and, and, and accusations and her loss of so, social privileges. I mean, those of you who are teenagers in here, do you look forward to humiliation 
and the loss of social privileges and, and being accused, right? But Mary, she, she, she knows she sees a way forward. If she's to connect her story to the mysterious work that God is doing in the world, the way forward for her was clear. She had to make a choice, but that choice would come with a cost. And if we would see God's presence magnified, spreading throughout our broken world, then we too must make a choice to let Christ be formed within us. Only Mary had the unique honor of having God's son. She, she was not perfect, and uh, yet she would be responsible um, for nursing the son of God. I mean, uh, and he was human too. Let's, uh, let's not be uh, confused about that. I mean, she would have to teach him his first prayers, take him to synagogue, make his lunch, dry his tears. And, and such a task could intimidate anyone. And Mary was only a teenager, right? But she had a passion to see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven would begin to literally come down to earth through her and then through the body of Jesus. Mary was already engaged with God's mission before Gabriel appeared. This is a crucial part. Because we think, like, how could someone like this be so ready to make that kind of choice? Even though she asked her questions, but she was already engaged with the mission of God. Because later on, the, Luke, the writer of this gospel, he, he tells us that uh, she would confess concerning her pregnancy, quote, that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. She knew about that promise, and she was already holding on to it in her heart. That it would be easier for us to accept whatever cost that God asks of us, or that may result from simply loving him in a world that is deficient in love, if we would remember that our sacrifice is part of God's plan of rescue for our world. That means keeping God's mission, keeping his story in and for the world hidden in our hearts. We need to grab hold of God's story and then to find our place in it. Will we do the work to figure those kinds of things out? And that story is right there in Scripture. Now, kids have been learning it. They've been using the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then they see God's story unwrapped for us from Genesis to Revelation. But it's found right there in the Scriptures, and it's also found in the lives of the faithful, both past and present, as we study how they walk with the Lord, and as we get to know those who may still be living who have walked before us, we find out more about God's story and what he's doing in the world. But if we want to be the kind of people who are loving and humble, especially in difficult times of choice, then we have to remain, we must remain, engaged with God through reading the scriptures and by having Christian friendship. And it is through treasuring the scriptures and the people of God, whether they're with the Lord now or still with us, that we develop a passion for God's mission in the world. That's how we do it. And it is these means, along with corporate worship, like we're doing right now, that God uses to help us love what he loves more than ourselves. So how does the spirit of Christmas get into us and into our city? I suggested that it's by engaging with God's mysterious work through, through prayer and through mission. And that is how we become a loving and a humble people by nature. But even more than that, 
We don't just become people who are cheery, who engage in yuletide cheer and re, or jolly, right, and that sort of deal. And, and we don't just become uh, happy and charitable people. We become a people. Get this. We become a people who mediate the presence of God in a broken world. A people broken as we are, embodying the presence of God in a broken world. Mystery. And, and at least this is the beginning of how we can allow Christ to be formed in us, and we, we will become a humble people, quick to forgive and slow to anger, abounding in the love of God. Why? Because of how good we are in praying and keeping up with Bible meditation and, and being in mission? Not primarily, no. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favorite one. The Lord is with you. There it is. The Lord is with you. Broken as you and I are, he is with us. Emmanuel. And he's with us not because we earned it, right? But, but a faithful peasant girl from the hood grew into a woman who watched her eldest son suffer betrayal and injustice and a horrible death so that we would never have to pay for our sins and never go a day without the presence of our Savior. The city of heaven is singing over the city of man and is preparing to come down. And by grace, we are recipients of God's presence. And that is what makes us humble. And that'll make you write some poems, won't it? That'll make you sing some songs. That'll make you push out some art, some good stuff too. And now, now we, we didn't read it, because it's later on, it's later on in the text in, in Luke's gospel, but Mary writes a song, which we've come to know as the Magnificat. And it's usually heard during this time of year. And I, and I commend it to you that if you haven't heard uh, uh, any rendition of that, that song before, I commend that to you. Go on iTunes or wherever, Spotify, do what you got to do. In fact, I think that's what's so wonderful about our city during this time of year. We actually become a city that sings a city that rejoices. Think about it. There's no other holiday in the year in which we get a chance to do this. And I mean, everybody sings, right? I mean, the construction worker, all the way to little kids with broken voices and everything, people who can't hold a tune, singing songs out in the streets. And it's, it's wonderful, right? I mean, people do it in public. And I'm telling you that, friends, if, if we would allow Christ to be formed in us, a piece of heaven will come down to earth at your jobs, in your schools, in the streets, and at your table. Warm up the throats of our streets and let the singing begin. Let the songs rise up from the corner. For soon and very soon, this city and every city is going to magnify the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sing over us. And you love us so much that you are willing to come down. Lord, you have told us and you have shown us through Jesus Christ 
that we do not need and we cannot even do it. We can't do it, but we, we are not called to come up to you, but you come down to us. You show us just how you have humbled yourself for us and shown us your love for us. You are a generous father. You are the one who has called us to be transformed by your presence. Not by the things that we can do. Not by the gifts that you have given to us. Not by the relationships that we are able to secure or the success that we are able to achieve. But by your presence. You give us of yourself. And Lord, because you have given of yourself, we say, take us. We give ourselves away. We give our emptiness into your hands that you might fill us. Speak to us, O oh God, during this season. Help us to hear and to heed the call of Christmas, wrapped in the mystery of the Godhead, three in one, veiled in flesh, Jesus the Christ. We look to him and we call upon his name for all of our woes and our pains, the hopes and fears of all our years are met in him. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have heard our cry, our longing for a different kind of city, a different kind of world. Not just one in which we are cheerful and charitable toward one another, but one in which you dwell with us. For God, if you do not go with us, we don't want to go any further. We need you. And we thank you that you have answered profoundly through Jesus with a resounding yes. I am here for you. Emmanuel, we worship you and we give you thanks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.